How do you do, fellow kids, and welcome to Reskins, a weekly episodic discussion of the star-studded and scandalous teen drama phenomenon of the late 2000s, Skins. This week we'll be talking about episode five of series one, Sid. Sid. Are we saying things in unison Apparently, still? yeah, oh. we'll do the whole <laughs> podcast in unison. Um, yeah, so uh, again, we don't have a signature drink for this episode because it is a school night, but we will rectify that for next week, I think. Um, but I'm having strawberry-flavoured still water. And I'm just having still water. But Rock still and, and still and strawberry both begin with an S, like Sid. Oh, okay. Well, fabulous. This episode is the first episode of television, I think, written by Jamie Britton, who was co-creator of Skins with his dad, Brian Elsley. I thought you were going to say it was the first episode of television Imagine if it had been. (laughs) Imagine. Uh, Everything before that was just a dream. Um, It was directed by the brilliantly named Minky Spyro, now better known for period dramas like Call the Midwife and Downton Abbey. Uh, And I think Skins was one of the first things she ever did for television. Uh, She does a couple of episodes in this series. I forgot that we got those bottles of wine earlier as a present so we can have those. Mm, I don't want those. Okay. (laughs) Um, No offence to the person who gave us them. So the episode opens with Sid watching an old man dancing at the window uh, in college uh, and a woman comes along and they start... Uh, necking on together, basically. The guy's dancing with a pair of headphones on to begin with, and I was wondering if it was a reference... I feel like it's a reference to maybe like a John Hughes movie or something Mm. like that. It felt like it was a reference to something, but I don't know what it was. Well, I thought it was a direct allusion to Tony's episode, which starts with him watching someone from the window. Oh, yeah, it might be. Uh, Because Tony's watching the hot neighbour getting ready in the morning with her boobs out, and Sid is watching two old people kissing on. Not that there's anything wrong with two old people kissing, but... Absolutely not, but I don't think it would be that appealing to you if you were a 17-year-old boy, maybe? So Sid is interrupted, and we see that he's in college getting a row for not putting the work in. Poor Sid in this scene. Uh, His dad is played by... Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi, uh, who is... Uh, really good, one of the one of the really good adults in Skins, who is particularly adept at shouting swear words. Um, this character is so similar to his character in The Thick of It, um, and it did make me kind of wonder what came first. Your fucking beige power angel. <laughs> <laughs> all of that, all of that. Um, there's some good sweary moments later on, and just they make really good use of Peter Capaldi's. Scottish accent in this episode, I think. Yeah, and I think that obviously Peter Capaldi is just more convincing at spouting a whole list of swear words and just does that kind of thing that they had Harry Enfield do so much better. I yeah, think. I mean, he makes it an art form, I think. Yeah. Like, it's brilliant. Uh, Sid's mum is played by Josie Lawrence, uh, another kind of comedy actress, and she's, I think the pair of them are really well cast as Sid's mum and dad. Me too, me too. Um, I think there's a physical resemblance between Josie Lawrence and Sid and I think they've got a sort of similar slightly hangdog energy. Yeah, you really get the sense that Sid takes after his mum actually. Yeah. 
Um, I really liked them together. I, I thought they were very convincing as a family. Sid gets an extension on his essay at college from Tom, who's his lecturer. Uh, his essay is about solidarity and the collapse of Soviet power. Uh, and he's got two days to get it in. It sows the seeds of there being like kind of parallels between the whole Gdansk agreement and Sid and Tony's relationship. Gdansk. And the Gdansk. And it's a strange kind of metaphor that they keep returning to throughout the episode. Shall we Gdansk? <laughs> that was, you couldn't hear that, but I rolled my eyes there. <laughs> I think they could hear it. When they're leaving the college, uh, Peter Capaldi is having another shouting moment. Uh, and Sid asks, I just thought this was very funny, why are you talking in very short sentences? Peter Capaldi says it's because he wants to... For dramatic effect. For dramatic effect, <laughs> yes, for emphasis. I just thought that was very good. I like this idea. I just really like this family. I think they're really well set up. I think it's a really interesting dynamic that's going on here. Um, which we'll probably get into a little bit more later. So Sid goes to drama, and I did question, like, why does Sid take drama? Because he doesn't strike me as as somebody who would be into that. Yeah, well, when that was first established, my immediate thought was, oh, maybe he took this because some of the rest of the gang have taken it as well, and he's mainly kind of going there to hang out with them. Like, my mind immediately, as it would do, went to Maxi taking drama because... Because he's a dancer. And because he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then Maxi and Anwar appear as the devil and angel respectively on Sid's shoulders. And Maxi seems to think the drama class sucks and is encouraging Sid to ditch it. Maybe there's a sense that Sid uh, thinks drama is a, a bird course, as it were, and he was going to fly through it. Thanks, Lauren Hill. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was a, a weird, interesting moment. Yeah, we've got Maxi and Anwar as angel and devil trying to convince Sid to either go to class or to come and smoke with them on the green. I think Maxi and Anwar have been continually used for comic effect throughout the series so far, but I think this is where it feels really nice and interesting and they have a really good uh, dynamic together in this scene. In this scene they really lean into it, they really lean into the comic potential and it's like yeah it's kind of ridiculous that they're literally the devil and angel because Max is wearing devil horns, uh, Anwar's wearing I think a little halo on his head. Yeah Um, I just think it's funny though, it's very skins. Uh, yeah, so it's like, well, did they just happen to have these? Well, they're in the drama room. They're in the, or they're outside the drama room. Yeah, they've um, got them from their drama costumes. I guess that makes sense, but it, <laughs> but yeah, it is that kind of heightened skins reality thing again, isn't it? Yes. So they convince it, and he decides to ditch drama uh, as they're leaving to go to the green. Cassie reminds Sid that they have a date. Cassie turns up and reminds Sid that they have a date tonight. But Sid tells her he's grounded, um, and Cassie says she'll come round instead. Uh, And Sid kind of agrees half-heartedly, but you get the sense that he's not really listening. I still am not quite sure about the Cassie and Sid relationship yet. I think it's been a very interesting setup. One of the other things in the scene is the mention of Cassie's eating disorder again, because she says, "Uh, I didn't eat for three days so I could be lovely, which is really sad. And especially when you think back to everything that she went through in the Cassie episode, Mm. and it looked like there was a spot of hope where she was going to bite into the burger 
but of course she's uh, she's not eating healthily again. Yeah, I just it kind of brought me back to the Cassie episode because I was thinking Sid and Cassie's relationship is so unusual, and I was like, he was so nice to her in the Cassie episode. But then I recognised that a lot of that Cassie episode is really being told from Cassie's point of view, and we've now got a slightly different take on Sid, having seen him through the other characters' eyes, and and now his own version of himself. That's a good point. I wonder to what extent each of the episodes, because each episode focuses on a specific character, the viewpoint character is an unreliable narrator of their own story and is portraying themselves in the light in which they see themselves. Mm. So Tony, it kind of makes sense for Tony to see himself as a bit of an arrogant bastard. And that's Mm. what he is in the episode. Cassie, this slightly more whimsical take on herself. Mm-hmm. Um, Jal, Jal, a moody bitch. <laughs> yeah, but no, but Jal being both moody but also kind of pragmatic. Mm. Chris, the really height and highs and lows. Yes. Um, and now in this episode, maybe this is the true Sid. This is 100% Sid. And let's see where that takes mm. us. Um, as they're leaving, I did notice that Sid puts his hand on Maxie and Anwar's bums, which I just think is very sweet and like a weird little touch. And I really like the boys in skins. Like, it's quite unusual for me to be um, so into the male characters mm. in a show. Um, I tend to, what like, my favourite shows are like Buffy and... Things with women. Things with women in them. Um, so, I, I, yeah, when I think of my favourite Skins characters, it's the girls. But I do really like the boys in Skins. And I think it's quite interesting that there's no, like, lad, lad character in Skins. The boys are all of quite a realistic type. They feel like boys that you went to college with, to me anyway. Yeah. Well, I think they, like, rather than having a lad's lad archetype, Anwar's kind of a bit of that, and Chris is kind of a bit of that, and Tony's kind of a bit of that. Mm. It's, they have different aspects. Like, Tony is the kind of alpha, toxic masculinity. Uh, Sid's the kind of slovenly slob. What's the word that I'm looking for? Kind of slacker. Mm. Chris is the sort of, class clown party boy but with a sad yeah i suppose you're right i just i think in other shows tony in the u.s version of skins tony is more of a like football boy like the jock jock. yeah um and he's not that and i just i think it's very interesting Mm. anyway we've talked about that for a long time so tony's reading on the green did you catch what he was reading i didn't catch uh yes he was reading jean-paul sartre's nausea Mm -hmm. um in the first episode so it's clear that he's reading stuff which is pretty highbrow especially Mm. for a college student yeah so i think that's the consistent thing rather than it being thematically relevant. Okay. Uh, And he's watching Abigail and the posh girls from the girls' school. Uh, Michelle comes along and she's been shopping and she tries to get Tony interested in her two new skirts, uh, but he's just not interested. He's not listening. Well, there's an interesting thing here. Michelle's two skirts literally represent the virgin whore dichotomy. Really? Yeah, she says, here's, uh, I can't remember exactly what she says, but she she says, does. here's my, here's my, essentially, here's my slutty skirt. I think I'll wear that for some occasion for like a party. And here's my, like my good girl skirt or something along ah, those lines. An interesting thing. I hadn't S- picked that up. So she literally puts, so the virgin whore dichotomy being like this 
kind of trope of female characters being reduced to either being a good girl, virgin, you know, in scare quotes, or a whore, like the Virgin Mary, Mary Magdalene, like all this kind of thing. So Michelle's like laying that out on the table. And of course, uh, Tony says, go for the go for the short skirt for, for the choir recital tonight. So he wants her to be the whore? I guess so. Wow. Okay, interesting. Uh, so uh, in this scene as well, Tony is watching Sid, uh, who's on the on the grass on the green, smoking. Tony says Michelle and Sid are coming with him to hear him sing in the chamber concert, um, because it's just occurred to me how much fun it would be. Clearly, Tony's playing a long game here, and a long game. I think that his asking Michelle to wear that particular skirt is part of that long game. It's him pulling the strings again. It's his manipulation. Yes, his control and manipulation. At home, Sid is looking at the flashing cursor of Doom on his computer and trying to get his essay done. Mike Bailey, I think, is just adorable in this scene. Like, I knew this boy. Like, he's just a bit useless and he's so unsure of himself. Yeah. Uh, He just doesn't really know who he is. And I think that is so, so common. Like, of course he doesn't because he's 17 and everyone around him is telling him who he should be. Yeah, and that's reflected in even the setup in his room in this bit. Massive desks around him. He's like, he's penned in by these mm. massive desks with his like big old computer and monitor. That, is just, what the, that is just what size computer was in 2007. Yeah, but at the same time, it, it <laughs> yeah. kind of shows that he's like dwarfed by all this stuff, like maybe representing the adult world and like what he's facing up to kind of growing up. Mm. We do. Maybe this is why, actually, I did kind of wonder. We keep seeing his hamster in this scene in a cage. And maybe that's why, because Sid feels like he himself is caged in. Deep, man. Well, you do things like that. You say things like that and you can get away with it. But I say it and I sound like an idiot. Who's got hamster? (laughs) Oh, that hamster's on a wheel. (laughs) So Sid keeps getting distracted uh, and he squirts the hamster with a water gun, which is not very nice. A gun that you see in the first act has to go off in the third. And it certainly does. Um, Keep your eye out for a squirty gun. I keep um, I keep referring to Sid's dad as Peter Capaldi because that's who he is. Peter Capaldi comes in and yells at Sid uh, and says, "No telly, no stereo, no Asian fanny fun." Uh, His line reading of that is just—it's so good. I just think Peter Capaldi's a genius. Agreed. He lives near us as well. He does. He does. I Peter Capaldi, if you're listening. I often see him in the coffee shop. Well, before lockdown, often saw him in the coffee shop around the corner. Yeah, exciting Peter Capaldi. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did. It did make me think. Like these days, he would have just taken his phone off him. Um, and it's funny, like even though Skins was only ten years ago, like all the like mad massive stuff that you had to have in your mm. room as a young person, and now. Yeah, it all exists on this one on one small device, thing. which is more easily confiscatable. Yeah. So instead, Peter Capaldi lugs this television and hi-fi down the stairs when we hear an almighty crash and a bang. Oh my god! The line delivery of just the closed door and hearing Peter Capaldi say, "I've fallen down the fucking stairs," <laughs> is just so good. I love him. Um, so Sid goes straight from. Uh, not writing his essay, to wanking over a picture of Michelle. Tony turns up, and this joke is so good. He says, I'm going to go out and come back in again. And he does. And it's just so 
beautiful. And then he says, I thought you might need a hand with your coursework. We haven't given real props to Nicholas Holt yet, but I think Nicholas Holt actually has some really good comic timing. Yes. And I think he pitches Tony's like sliminess and smugness yes. really well. I think there's something in, and this kind of comes into it later, but there's something in how striking looking Nicholas Holt is yeah. as well. Like when we've been watching it on E4, we keep getting adverts for, I can't remember what brand it is, but like a perfume yeah. advert with Nicholas Holt in it now. And he's like an actual stunner now, mm-hmm. I think. But when he was younger, I think he was sort of weird looking, like attractive, but something just sort of, He's got an almost kind of otherworldly quality. Yeah, it's yeah. like an elf or something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Well, really I thought he was like an angel, and, but I don't yeah. know if that's right. weird. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, because Caius Scodelario also is kind of has an otherworldly characteristic to her as well. And I think that those two are really well cast as, as brother and sister. I think so too. But there isn't much of a family resemblance no. to Harry Enfield and Moena Banks, but hey-ho. Anyway, uh, I thought that joke was really good. Tony just sits down at the computer and starts writing Sid's essay for him, and he knocks out a whole paragraph in seconds. Um, mm-hmm. Just awful. Um, Sid says that he's grounded, but Tony convinces him to come to the concert because Michelle will be there. And then we get this little... Um, what I thought of was like the gross boy makeover montage where Sid is like getting dressed for his night out and trying to find a shirt that doesn't smell or have fucking weird black stuff all over yeah, it. Yeah, some of the clothes that he pulls out, some of the t-shirts are ridiculously stained. And yeah. it's like, if you haven't got that in the laundry yet, Sid, take a good hard look at yourself. <laughs> take a look at yourself. Um, I would absolutely fucking die for a Mega Dog t-shirt, by the way. The Mega Dog t-shirt... Outfit of the week. Uh, it's my outfit of the week. It could be your outfit of the week. Um, it's because it's iconic. It is iconic. It's very iconically skins. Um, so Mega Dog T-shirt, this stupid yellow T-shirt with a cartoon dog on it, which when he presses the nose, makes a little, plays a little fanfare, and yeah, when it, when I'm trying to recall it in my head, I'm thinking. Puppy power! Well, but that's it's not I think quite that's kind that. Of what it's, I think it's what it's re- reference yeah. to. But yeah, it's like, mega dog, woof woof. <laughs> Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Uh, <laughs> so, so, oh, and when when he's having this makeover montage, it's uh, the song that's playing is Date With The Night by the oh, yeah. Years, one of my favourite 2004 songs. An absolute banger. One thing that I did note, actually, I've been looking at some different Skins stuff, but apparently the US, the version that's on Netflix in the US hasn't got a lot of the music cleared, so they have different music cues. Or, like, generic ones. Yeah, yeah. That's a shame. Which is a bit of a shame. It is a real shame. And even... I wonder if they even have gossip standing in the way of control, which we haven't really talked about so far on this podcast, but Mm. it's at the outset of the E4 version at the previously on section, right at the beginning of the episodes, they're always soundtracked by standing in the way of control, which was a massive part of the ad campaign for Skin Series 1 as well. That is the, the... sound time capsule of that mm. year for me i think me too. um so they go to tony's choir concert michelle and sid and they've brought chris with them um for some reason michelle's outfit her little skirt her little slutty skirt and this basque are gorgeous and insane 
do you know what it really reminds me of? Um, Girls Aloud's video for biology. Yes. It was quite, it was a few years before that, because I think it was around 2005, there was a real vogue for like grey and black sort of lacy lace. patterns yeah. um, accented with pink, bright pink, and that's exactly the look that Michelle's going for it's here. It's so good. It's so good. I love it. But it does feel a little bit out of step with her slightly more trendy at the time clothes that she had been wearing mm. up to that point. So, mm. But obviously part of the joy of that outfit is that she's going... Uh, so she's going to church to watch the chamber choir. Um, so the choir comes on, all these girls, and they sing God Only Knows by the Beach Boys, which Chris is very excited about. He is. He's going off. He's going, popping off. He says this song slaps. He doesn't literally say that. Imagine if he did. They're all waiting for Tony. They're wondering where he is. And he comes out from the back with Abigail. uh, And he has his hair slicked back. Um, He he does look great, but he's awful at the same time. Yes. Like sort of greasy and smarmy. Smarmy boy. Um, I did kind of wonder, like, I think this is definitely Nicholas Holt's real voice, but if this was Abigail's real voice... Well, she's certainly not singing live. Oh my God, they were definitely lip syncing for their life, Uh and I think Abigail, God bless her, is going to have to sashay away this week. Um, (laughs) I may not always love you. (laughs) It's very over-enunciated in that. I did a fair bit of choirs and um, drama and amateur operatics and stuff, so I'm very familiar with the over-enunciated choir girl versions it of is so weird. pop songs. Abigail and Tony kiss at the end of their song, poor Michelle. Uh, this was so horrible, like, it's so horrible to watch, like, he manoeuvred Sid to be there to see it as well, um, and it's just so, I really felt for Michelle in this scene. And then this scene ends with this stupid tag of Chris dancing as the boys' choir sing Little David, Play on Your Harp. Like, Chris is clearly really enjoying himself and having a great time. Chris is into it. Like, he's he's not oblivious to the drama that's going on, but he's I think he is. I think he is. He doesn't really know that it's happening. Uh Uh, Michelle, clearly raging, makes her way through to the dressing room with uh, Sid and Toe. Oh, sorry, I thought you were calling Tony Toe. That you were giving him a short, <laughs> short name. No, Sid uh, is Sid in, in Toe. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yes, they go into this room, this changing room in the back, where Tony is feeling up Abigail. Uh, or was he just checking her diaphragm? Oh, he was checking her diaphragm, so he was. Um, and it's just so horrible. Abigail is wearing some really good metallic pink shoes in this scene, though. Like, I really, really love them. Abigail ends up kind of going off on one. Yeah, she throws a lot of pop psychology stuff at Michelle yes, yes, at this point. As we know. Dr. Stock, Cassie's therapist, is Abigail's mum. Yes. Will this come back? Will it come back? Mm. Um, Yeah, and Michelle just not having it and slapping Abigail feels so good because Abigail's awful, like this awful posh girl who at one point calls Michelle a horse fucker. Um, Yeah, there's like, she comes out with an offensive Some problematic slang. Um, and I hate a compound swear, as I mentioned about Harry Enfield's line. But uh, but yeah, this one ends with horse fucker. Uh, to which Sid replies, Michelle would never, never fuck a horse, which I just think is such a good skins line again. And again, Mike, Mike Bailey's reading of it, especially there's something about a Bristol 
accent intoning the words, never fuck a horse. Yes, yes. <laughs> that makes it work. Um, so Michelle leaves and then Tony more or less throws Sid after Michelle and it kind of makes me go like, what is he about? This, the game that Tony is playing is so twisted and weird. There's a logic to it, but it's a fucked up logic. It's the fact that it's, it's cat and mouse, isn't it? Yes. Um, Tony is the cat and both Michelle and Sid are his mice in this instance. He's, um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, he's manipulating both of them and he knows the control that he has over the, the two of them as well. So it's more of Tony's nefarious ways. And then this scene ends with another tag of Chris chatting up this girl by reading her palm. I just love, I love Chris. Like, I really love Chris. You know I love Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did wonder why he's here and why why these tags. I guess it's to, to keep it skins and to keep it kind of light and uh, to balance the melodrama with these comic tags. Mm-hmm. And because we had so much Chris last week, we need to kind of see where he's at now. But it's so odd. It is so odd. Yeah, but again, it seems like Chris is in a bit of a better place, and it does. He's this girl is into being chatted up and having her palm read. Yeah. Oh, and she's got like this posh girl voice, and she calls them crocodiles. Crocodiles. Uh, anyway, that was just I like that. So Sid chases after Michelle, uh, and they head through the streets of Bristol, where Michelle is being uh, attacked by these these very Bristol chavs, all in pink velour. Uh, with the, the iconic line, she's giving us cheek. Oh, she's giving us cheek. Well, Michelle is very problematic. She is my problematic fave because uh, she calls one of the girls a fat bitch uh, and they, they fight. Uh, and it's this very kind of visceral, hair-pulling, you know, the kind of fight that girls have when they're drunk. Sid has to turn up to rescue her, basically. Uh, but he makes a bit of a shit job of it. It's not a good It's not a good scenario for anybody involved. No. And then Michelle calls Sid out on his friendship with Tony uh, and refers to Tony as your fucking bum chum. Again, problematic. It's another reference to Tony's sexuality in relation oh. to his male friends, uh, especially after Tony's line about, do you want a hand? Oh. I hadn't thought of that as like a bit of a theme for Tony. Yeah. I think to watch that now, I don't think they would use that term. No. Um, but I think it is the sort of thing that kids would have said at the time and probably still say now, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you, Um, kids, fucking 17-year-olds. So after Michelle leaves, the girls end up ganging up on Sid uh, and they give him a kick-in. And when he's down, a man pisses right next to his head, uh, which has been a bit of a weirdly recurring motif uh, for Sid. Piss for Sid. Piss for Sid. That'll be the tagline for this episode. So Sid sneaks back home uh, where he gets caught by his mum and dad and his dad confronts him uh, and asks him if he can smell piss uh, and Sid says that it's someone else's piss. Well, Uh, that's all good then. That's That's all good. I love this stupid thing here where Peter Capaldi says you snook out. It's a snuck. No, 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 I'm says, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just love it. I think it's a great joke. And Sid's mum is worried about him. And we get this kind of moment where Sid tries to come back at someone for the first time. He tries to come back at his dad by calling him a dildo. Uh, and even his mum obviously wants to laugh. 
It's like Sid can't even get angry properly. He can't even, like, defend himself. I really like Josie Lawrence's little smirk, stifling a laugh. I love it. I think it's so cute. So Sid gets sent to his room where Cassie has been waiting on him. Uh, He stood her up. It was meant to be their date, as you'll remember. Cassie's eye makeup is incredible, like this pink and blue. And surprise, surprise, Cassie is my outfit of the week again. Uh, I can't even really remember what she was wearing. I just remember that I really liked it. Yeah, she was wearing, like, it was a black sequin sort of shrug thing Mm. over a multicoloured, maybe floral top. Um, What I wondered with this scene was, are Sid's parents aware that Cassie is sitting on his bed. No. Oh, okay. Well, there's that thing where, like, Tony's can Tony sneaks in earlier. Oh, yeah. It's like people can get into Sid's room. <laughs> I'd be know. a little bit concerned about yeah. the security of uh, of Sid's house, but but Cassie is so ethereal that you get the sense that. She floated in. She, yeah, like she, she could come upstairs. in and maybe his dad just thought he'd seen a ghost or something. So Cassie shoots Sid with the water pistol that we saw earlier on. Uh, and then she kisses him and she says, it's your choice, Sid. And I thought this was an interesting moment of Cassie, like, putting her fate in someone else's hands, actually. Mm. She has kind of so far, she's almost kind of put her well-being into other people's hands. Yeah. There's a sense that Cassie is fairy-like. Yeah. You know, the ancient stories of fairies, like having weird bargains with people Mm. and all this kind of thing. And that's reflected as well in Cassie taking the, the water pistol thing with her. Too yeah. is like she's taking a totem of his and leaving this choice in his hands. That's interesting. Um, and again, Cassie is always sort of characterised as this waif, ethereal character. But again, she's a living human being with complexity, with and yeah. thoughts and feelings and needs of yeah. her own. Um, I think she's one of the best characters in this show. Like one of the best characters, actually. I think she's brilliant. Yeah, There's... and that's going back to what we were discussing in the Cassie episode more evidence for her being actually a, a deconstruction of the Manic Pixie Dream oh, Girl. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. So the next morning, after all of that happened, Sid's mum is waiting outside to take him to college. She's got great hair and a great coat. I would like to have it on record. Uh, and then Sid tries to, in the car, Sid tries to talk to his mum about Tony. Um, but even Sid's mum thinks Tony's lovely. It, was there a scene earlier? Yeah, there was a scene earlier on where Peter, Peter Capaldi says, oh, Tony. Or, <laughs> like an old Edinburgh woman. Or is that later on? <laughs> no, that was earlier. It yeah. was earlier on, yeah. Um, so both of Sid's parents seem to be in awe of Tony and think that Sid should be looking up to him. Sid's mum is clearly saying goodbye here, um, but Sid doesn't really notice, I don't think. Hmm. Um, and there's this moment when, you know, he gets out of the car, she winds the window down and she says, Sid, he says, yeah, and she says nothing. Oh, and this is an instance of two characters who are failing to communicate. Yes. Yes. Um, they're trying to communicate something, but they can't quite bring themselves to, Absolutely. to commit to it and say what they really need to say or want to say. Like, it's across the board for that family, isn't it? Yeah. So Sid goes to college, and we get another little um, 
vignette from this janitor and dinner lady from the opening scene. Dinner lady or cleaning lady or something. She's a woman in a tabard anyway, uh, an iconic woman in a tabard. Uh, We see that their relationship has moved along a little bit. They're now having dinner and wine together. Very nice. uh, Which I just really like. It's another one of those stupid little skins references, like the idea that Mm -hmm. all the adults are off kind of shagging and Mm having relationships and things and not really noticing anything that's going on. So Tony calls Sid back into the room, essentially, uh, and we find out that everyone has passed their essay except Sid. The lecturer Tom is kind of shaming of Sid in this scene in front of the whole class like what a jerk yeah that's not good practice for a teacher not good practice what we also find out which i loved is that chris loved the choir uh, and that he slept with the girl uh, well he slept with one of the girls not necessarily clear that it was the girl he was flirting with but good for chris having a lovely time back to being his usual chirpy self hmm. jowl challenges sid for not having for not having hung out with Cassie. Like, I like Jal and I love her pragmaticness, but it's like everyone in this episode is picking on Sid and I'm so sad for him. Yeah, and it's interesting as well because Jal and Maxie seem to be the first to react to Sid coming in in the sunglasses, then taking them off, and it's like Jal knows that he's got a black eye under there. Mm. Like, going in when she knows that there's something up. So... Tom asks Sid to kind of stay back after the lesson and talk to him. Uh, but when Sid tries to talk about his problems, he's, he, Tom is kind of overwhelmed. Uh, and he kind of tries to sort out Sid's problems with empty platitudes. He says, find your wings uh, and do your fucking coursework, which is an empty platitude, but is also just good life advice, I think. <laughs> but um, Tom seems so smug and self-satisfied with himself in this moment. He's like, yeah, I've done a really good job. I've really inspired that oh, kid. Oh, God bless him. So outside the classroom, Tony chats with Sid and does a sort of problematic Mr. Miyagi accent uh, when he's calling Sid young grasshopper and stuff. Uh, And he's convincing Sid to take Michelle for a drink. Uh, So when Sid calls Michelle, it turns out she's still angry at him. She's not at college that day and she's still angry at him. And Cassie overhears them talking, which is just heartbreaking. Yeah, she kind of lounges back against the locker and something that reminds me of Greece, or like it's a very iconic image of it feels yeah an, an anguished young woman leaning back like with her arms crossed over her books. I'm not sure if she, they literally are, but that's what the image is like mm. um, as it, she's listening to this. It feels very like American high school show, yeah. but there's also a sense that Cassie is thinking that she's in an American high school yeah. show when she's doing this, or like a film. Following that scene, Cassie is back at the burger bar, which no longer appears to be called Eats. I don't know if you noticed that. It seems to be the same bar. I don't th- know if the bar was actually called Eats or it just had a neon sign in it which said Eats. In retrospect, we maybe get the sense that that was from Cassie's point of view. Yeah. Um, and that this little scene is now Cassie in the real world. Mm. Um, and Cassie has ordered and she's eating a burger. Um, so there's the sense that she no longer wants or needs to be lovely because she's been so rejected by Sid. Mm. There's no ambiguity about it this time. She's 
go into town on that burger. Yeah, and she's really given up, yeah. I think, things. So Michelle and Sid go for a drink at Robbie Fazer's bar, which is, who's Jal's dad. And we see that Michelle also got beaten up by the chavs and she has a black eye. There's just this really nice relationship between the two of them, actually. I think Michelle is such an interesting character. Like, I think she wants to be loved in such an interesting way. And she's put so much stock into Tony, who is obviously really bad for her. Mm-hmm. And she she knows, she's already told us that he doesn't love her. And you get the sense with Michelle that she is aping some of Tony's control and manipulation strategies, but can't carry them out in the same way because she is, at heart, she's actually a good person, but she's... Uh, and she's not really self-centered, hmm. but she reflects aspects of people. And I feel like the idea is that Tony brings out the worst in Michelle. Yeah, I think so, actually. So in this scene, Michelle tells Sid that he's sweet and he's nice, which is, you know, Sid clearly doesn't want to be thought of as that. He doesn't want to be thought of as, you know, like a brother. Uh, he he wants to be a romantic prospect. Um, and there is a real sense that, like, Michelle, I think... The idea of being loved by somebody who also loves you is maybe a a strange concept to her. And I think we find out more about her background later on. Mm. Uh, So let's kind of dive into that in Michelle's episode. So Sid tells Michelle that he loves her and she either doesn't hear or she pretends she doesn't hear. And she asks him to dance. Um... And we keep getting this scene intercut with uh, Cassie dancing on her own on a chair. And this really nice shot, this another kind of iconic skin shot, I think, of Cassie dancing on a, on a park bench in a, on a hill overlooking Bristol. Mm-hmm. Cassie is filling up the pistol, the water pistol, with vodka, taking pills and mixing them with the vodka. I do kind of wonder whether this scene which I think is beautifully shot and really, really iconic and in keeping with the character and it uh-huh. feels right. But I do wonder whether it like romanticises this, obviously an overdose. Yeah, there have been criticisms of that. And I think it's beautifully shot. It's uh, a well put together scene, but uh, I can see where those criticisms are coming from. Mm. Um, there is obvious literal metaphor of... Cassie putting the the water pistol, so she's putting the gun to her own head. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a it's an upsetting scene. Mm-hmm. So Tony comes to watch Sid and Michelle dancing, and he takes Michelle from Sid. And there's this sense that like it's all been a game. Yeah. Um, but he makes Sid join in as they all dance together, twisting the knife. It's Tony just putting that little bit of extra salt in the wound, and yeah. Um, I just I what what is Tony about anyway who knows we'll find out soon I'm sure um also in this scene I just want to give a little shout out to Michelle's pink bra strap that is just slightly falling down her shoulder which feels like a very iconic skins outfit to me I think she wears this pink bra in like the promo photos for skins um and it feels very 2007 and just very very Michelle but Sid to give him his credit, removes himself from that little dancing threesome moment 
uh, and takes himself off to uh, eat on his own. Sid has gone to the same cafe, the same diner where Cassie was, the yes. Eats one, yes. um, and he orders the same kind of burger that she ordered as well. And yeah. you get this real sense of a missed connection, which is what it literally was. Yeah, so it's like a missed connection, and you get the sense that it, you know it's them saying, uh, or Jamie Britton saying, if Sid hadn't gone with Michelle... He could have gone on his bloody date with Cassie because they were just about in the same place at the same time. Um, So Sid calls Cassie, but Jal answers uh, and she's in an ambulance, obviously going to the hospital with Cassie. And we get, I think, the first utterance of Jal's iconic catchphrase, for fuck's sake. For fuck's sake. For fuck's sake. Which I think later on becomes fucked up. Yeah, there's a lot of people saying X fucked up, Y fucked up, it all fucked up, fucked up, fucked up. Brilliant. More fucked up. Uh, so Sid visits Cassie in hospital and Jal's there and really drags him out like she's really going for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this moment where Jal says to the doctor that she's Cassie's sister so that she can stay and she tells the doctor Sid's not related to them so he has to go. Yeah. Um, it just feels really nice and funny. I also questioned in this scene whether Cassie's doctor has a stick-on moustache I didn't notice anything dodgy about the moustache, but I might take a look back and see. I really think it was fake. Maybe uh, it was Mad Twatters. I, I just had that moment of like, is this so? I don't know. It looked like a stick on moustache to me anyway. So Sid gets kicked out of Cassie's hospital room. Uh, and when he gets home, his dad is sitting there. And for the first time in the episode, he's kind of dressed down. He's in a t-shirt and jeans rather than his, his kind of suit. And it turns out that Sid's mum has gone. But his dad doesn't want to admit that they've split up. He tells Sid that relationships are complicated, which I think by this point Sid is more aware of than his dad realises. And this is the part where Sid decides to step up and shout back at his dad um, to the point where he tells his dad that he's grounded, which I think maybe over-eggs the pudding a little bit. No, I just think that's a really good scene. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's it's a real build-up where... Sid's obviously unleashing all this pent-up rage and frustration that he's had built up over the uh, over the last few weeks. Remember that all stories are circles, uh, and Sid, uh, Skins loves a story being a circle. Mm-hmm. And now, Sid, as Sid was grounded in the first couple of scenes by his dad, he's now grounding his dad in the last couple of scenes. Mm. Very, very good writing, I think. Sid goes upstairs and showers, maybe for the first time in a while you get the sense, and his dad brings back his telly and stereo, and there's this obvious newfound respect for each other. Mm -hmm. There is also a weird green screen outside Sid's window, and it made me kind of think for the first time that Sid's room is on a soundstage rather than a... or in a real house, basically. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. I wonder if it might have been a real house, and they put, like, a green screen behind the window, because it's obviously for a shot right at the end of the episode where we see the sun rising and setting and the moon coming up and all this like it's like a kind of time lapse thing in the background Mm. um as Sid's working on his essay and there's a close-up of his computer as he's writing the essay and it really lingers on the words control and manipulation almost as if that was the theme of the episode yeah funny that isn't it weird so clever anyway uh so he sits down to write his essay and Tony calls but Sid hangs up the old Motorola and I just I really 
was rooting for Sid in that moment of him hanging up on Tony. Uh, even though Tony's saying, like, I, I know you're there, and uh, calling him names and stuff like that, he still hangs up and gets on with his essay. And it's like he's kind of cutting off this poisonous person yeah. in his life. And, and I'm really proud of old Sid in that moment. Well done, Sid. Well done, darling. Onwards um, and upwards. So he pulls an all-nighter to get his essay done, uh, and I'm sure we'll find out next week whether it was successful or not. Mm. Uh, did you like this episode? I like this episode. I think it was a solid episode. It was uh, similar in quality to the JAL episode, I think. It was, it was competent in all respects. There was nothing hugely exciting about it, or there wasn't anything really ground-shaking about it other than I really liked um, Peter Capaldi and, and Josie Lawrence um, and that aspect of it. Again, it didn't have the high highs and low lows of the Cassie and Chris episode. It was a solid one in the mould of the Jal episode. I, I think what this and the Jal episode have in common is that Sid and Jal are in this, the world of skins. Sid and Jal are very grounded characters. Yeah. Like they feel of the real world, whereas you know Chris and Cassie clearly have their own reality yeah. going on and Tony just feels so heightened well that they're they're, mu- they're much more kind of color and noise and, and yeah. bright and bombastic and there's lots of um kind of interesting and clever direction going on mm-hmm. um but these episodes feel much more grounded and real and in the real world yeah. but i think they move things along so much character wise and we get so much nice character stuff particularly I think with Sid and his dad, which, no spoilers, but pays off later, um, that I think it's really worth it. I think they're really good episodes. Yeah, and I don't, I hasten to add as well that I don't think the episode was boring at all. Um, even Absolutely though it was, not. even though it wasn't as daring maybe as uh, as some of the other episodes, it felt well paced mm-hmm. and it sort of ticked along quite nicely. So uh, I like this episode. Me too. Where can people find us on the World Wide Web? Well, you can tweet us, DM us, do whatever you want Twitter-wise with us at ReskinnedPod. Um, or you can send us an email with your outfit of the week, favourite moments, favourite tunes from this episode. You can zoom right into uh, our inbox, which is ReskinnedPod at gmail.com. And we shall see you next week. Zip up your coat because we're going to Russia. Russia. Maxie and Anwar. Uh, Enjoy, everybody. Take care and we'll see you next week. Bye. No telly. No stereo. No Asian fanny fun. That should be enough to help you concentrate, is it? Yes, darling. Yes, thank you. You'll thank me for this one day. What's happened? I've fallen down the fucking stairs, you silly cow! Bugger.